This is David Hartman, director of Phantasm Ravager, and you're listening to the Science Boobies podcast. That's right, I said boobies. You're listening to Science Boobies, culturally insensitive quantum physics and space-time stuff. With your hosts, Jen and Brian. You can find us on scienceboobies.com. That's right, boobies. Without further ado, here is our special guest, director of Phantasm Ravager, David Hartman. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Now, Jen and I usually um, mix uh, science with uh, politics, but we're going to leave the politics aside because we know uh, the tall man is registered as, as, as either a Republican or Democrat, so we don't want to... Uh, yeah, to, uh, he's probably still the better choice. <laughs> we, we don't want to uh, influence people's uh, choice for November 8th by... by right, phones. right. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so um, now, Jen, you're, you're going to love this. Jen had never seen any phantasms um, when I talked to her about this idea of having wow. a show about, about the physics of phantasm. Um, so I immediately had her watch one to five in, in like short order. So she's obviously terrified now, but <laughs> she, she, uh, she's, uh, well-versed now. So hopefully we're going to delve into the, um, you know, the science and physics of, of the phantasm movie. And to the listeners out there, uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask uh, David about a lot of the, uh, phantasm film stuff unrelated to science because he's probably done a million interviews about that stuff. So you, there's plenty of other places to hear the whole story of phantasm. We're going to focus <laughs> right. on. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you've been, maybe perhaps have been asked the same question more than once, right? <laughs> Just a couple times. Okay, but um, so uh, we're gonna focus on this show, uh, the physics of phantasm, uh, just on um. Not only uh, the actual physics behind what was on on screen, but uh, talking about you know could it be true? Could it happen? And if it did, ha- if it does happen, what it, what it would look like? And uh, and then Jen will try will try to uh, convince me that the movies are in fact not real when of course David and I know <laughs> right. that there's going to be documentaries of, uh, of of a young boy that's been chased from Morningside, California to Paragord or in, at Holtzville, Oregon, uh, finally in Death Valley. So and we, we know this uh, obviously has not been covered by CNN or Fox News for God knows why. Probably has something to do with Hillary. Oh, there we go, being political again. Forget about it. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, let's start off with um, let's start off with. The very obvious thing in the movies, the, the, the coolest science thing in the movies, which are, of course, those dimensional forks. And Absolutely. they're awesome. I wish I had a couple. You know, that would, that would be great. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So, Let me now, tell you, those things, they are made out of solid steel, the ones that we use. They're the same yep. ones from the first film. And, really? And they are made out of solid steel. They're like 100 and some pounds each. And when we were making Ravager, Don and I would have to carry those things out, and we would basically flip a coin to see which <laughs> one of us was going to have to carry these damn things out and, and place them because they, they literally were just miserable to, uh, That's awesome. to move around. So, so to me, they were true dimensional forks <laughs> in one so, way or another. In other words, David, you're saying they put you in a dimension of pain after having to Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I definitely didn't feel like the same person after I moved them. Okay. okay. Um, something well, they are start... beautiful. <laughs> I mean, they're haunting in the movie. 
Oh yes, uh, Jen, uh, please give some of your thoughts uh, on on, uh, on on Ravager and, and to, to David. I mean, uh, again, this is a, she's a fresh fan. She just saw them, so I mean, if you have any insights or questions for David, feel free. Here he is. It was pretty scary, <laughs> I have to admit. The last one sort of took it in a direction that was unprecedentedly exciting with all oh, the. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what made you want to do this uh, this last one? Because there's quite a gap, is, isn't there, between four and five? Uh, yeah, it's like 17 to 18 years, um, which is pretty crazy. Now, um, the, the, I like to talk – I like to think of the fifth one as, um, as full-throttle uh, Michio Kaku. <laughs> um, and, and if you know who he is, obviously, right, David? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mitchell Kaku, for the uh, uninitiated listener out there, is a, is a theoretical, I think he's a theoretical physicist uh, who's just crazy awesome. And he's written these insane books about multiple dimensions and all sorts of things. Basically, if you were going to create phantasm, let's say you were really rich and, and, and you were demented uh, and you lived in a haunted house on the hill and you wanted to actually make this stuff real instead of just a movie, you would hire Michio Kaku, read his books, and have, have Michio construct some real dimensional forks. He probably <laughs> could do it, actually. I would not put it past him. But anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, so we, that we, we noticed right away, and it's just it, that's what gave me the idea of using the physics of Phantasm, because I, I realized how, how much we were getting to the alternate dimension thing. Um, now, was Don... I know Don's not here, so you're going to have to speak for him. Was Don um, cognizant of the fact that that's where this was heading, like for a full Michio Kaku interdimensional stuff? Or? Um, you mean from the start of the series, from the beginning, or just from part five? Uh, well, you know, both from your conversations with him from the first one and then from your experience between four and yeah, five. Yeah, I mean, from the first one, I think it was more, you know, him just dealing with life and death. And, you know, Don's uh, said a few times in interviews he had dreams, you know, and with these silver spheres flying around and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not 100% sure, you know, what his reasoning was. I don't think that was um, initially the point, but, it, you know, he likes to create questions and, and create an atmosphere where you want to talk about the movie afterwards. You know, so I think that's part of why there's dimensions in there. We're dealing with life and death, but then it's almost tangible in a way in the uh, the movie. Um, when we went on to part five, um, that was just something I always picked on. And, and you know, and Don and I uh, um, were talking, you know, just about it being 18 years later. I didn't want to hide the fact that um, all the actors have aged quite a bit and, and dealing with age and then uh, dementia and Alzheimer's um, it seemed to, you know, fit hand in hand with like m multiple realities and, uh, you know, um, multiple dimensions possibly. Yeah. And, and, and the death being the ultimate alternate dimension. I right. Mean, right. Especially since Phantasm has always dealt with death. Um, so in fact, <clears throat> I guess you could think of it as Phantasm has always dealt with the other dimensions just by another name. Right. Exactly. Now, um, to the uninitiated, uh, if this is your first episode listening, Jen is a, is a physicist, um, armchair physicist, physicist major, um, uh, avant-garde renegade physicist. Is that accurate, Jen? Sure. 
<laughs> Great. We change her. Uh, we change her title at every show, but physicist is always in there. Um, Jen, when, when you were watching uh, the Phantasm movies, when you saw people going through the portals, I mean, what did you first think of? Like, how could this happen? What would it take to make uh, like almost like a wormhole through uh, these two forks to another time and place? What's the first category of physics that would be involved in this? For putting a portal through to another dimension, yes. provided the other dimensions existed? Which they do, Jenna. I'm not going to have this argument with you again. Okay. <laughs> well, let's they say do. that there was one you'd have to know. Well, I guess what we're saying, there's spatially, they're spatially we can access one from the other. Yes, and they have to look as cool as they do on screen, and you've got to make sure <laughs> that you use chrome, chrome bars. So what would have to happen uh, physically speaking? Physically speaking, this is a little bit, and I'm going to say the movie, I think part of the creep factor of the movie is that it is like quasi-realistic. So I'm going to give you quasi-realistic physics on interdimensional travel, but I, without drawing any conclusions, I could see it as maybe like if you were vibrating in a different fre- in a, at a different frequency that was somehow perpendicular to, to this place. Really? Now, Jen, I just want to stop you there for a second. You said vibrating. Are you directly referencing a line from the fourth movie, or are you just getting this from your background in education in physics? You think when you die, you go to heaven? You come to science boobies? Just for my education in physics. Did you catch what she said, David? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that always played into the tuning fork aspect. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the first yeah. film. Mm-hmm. That's what's and, uh, so powerful about it. It's, it's, it's not believable, but it's, it's like quasi-believable. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it's based on at least something we're uh, familiar with. <laughs> the, uh, there was a, a voiceover on the fourth one uh, where, where, where Michael talks about, or maybe it was the Jody character. Yeah, I think it might, might have been the Jody character talk, talking about how um, Jebediah Morningside was experimenting with vibrations and things like that, and that reminded me of what Jen just said. So it's just amazing how it all comes together. Yeah. Well, we did yeah. one thing in, in Ravager uh, just because uh, that was something I always liked about it, The, um, you know, in part four talking about that. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing we did was that red sphere, uh, not that totally uh, jump off topic here, but the red sphere that we had in Ravager where it has all the spikes on it. Yep. Um, you know, we called that the suicide sphere where it, it just has all these spikes. It's just meant to stick to something. But, it's hard, you know, it doesn't read across in the movie all that well, but the idea was that it's making these beeping noises where it's trying to find the frequency of your body, um, whatever uh, frequency you have, and then it will cause your head to explode. I don't know wow. if that's physically possible. but It that... is physically possible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because that was the Jen, idea. Please, <laughs> please explain, Jen. And, and, you know, this is part of the reason why I always try to counsel people away from, like, exposing themselves to these binaural beats type of thing, like putting your head under some type of regular vibration thing. <laughs> and this is right. because every system has what's called a natural frequency. So I don't know if you've ever seen a bridge, a bridge collapse. Uh, yeah, where it just starts to like wobble. Yeah. The reason that happens is uh, because it vibrates at what's called its natural frequency. So everything just has one. Wow. Well, they have multiple, but the lowest one, the, this natural like base one, if you could, if you're 
what did you call them? Death balls? Uh, suicide spheres. Suicide spheres, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Because <laughs> they're going to they, blow themselves up. They're going to take you out with them, you know, they're, <laughs> these little kamikazes. If they could hone in on the frequency of your mind, they could vibrate at that frequency and then blow it up. All right. Interesting. Cool. Well, I'm so going to let Don know this because that was something I always wanted to do. And Tom was like, I think that could work, right? That could make sense. <laughs> no, I'm not a physicist, but I, I will say there is a real-world example of this that, that I've seen, and then that's uh, opera singers. Um, when they hit a note that matches the vibrating frequency of, uh, of, glass or... of a glass, it'll shatter. And, then, and that happens automatically every time once that frequency is reached. Yeah, so that's that that was your skull. Um, Yeah, except um, you can go out and buy a new goblet at the local wine (laughs) shop. I I can't buy a a new (laughs) noggin. But um, uh, so... Now, you were saying, Jen, to get, a, to get the uh, dimensional forks to work, uh, they, have, they have to vibrate to a perpendicular frequency. Now, how come you didn't say parallel frequency? I know it's a perpendicular dimension. What, what does that mean? Well, in my work, there's a demonstration of what's called the measurement limit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So for us to go somewhere different from here, it would need to be in its own measurement limit. And from a dimensional standpoint, that would mean it would have to be another dimension stacked on top of this one orthogonal to us in a vibrational sense, but yet physically superimposed. Jen, let me stop you there again. David, did you notice what she said? She used the word stacked. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the, Jen, are you getting that word? Did you use that word because of the uh, line from, from Ravager? Well, although we said I cannot because... perpendicularly, like a, um, a sphere. Well, you, you said stacked spherically. Where, where we just wanted to play the sphere symbol again. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, couldn't theoretically, even though they're connected, could you jump from one end of the sphere to the other that is parallel without having to cross the other dimensions to get there? Your consciousness as a sphere? <laughs> your physical body or your consciousness, David? Which one well, I would say your physical. Okay, so uh, your physical body, Jen... Uh, across the, the the sphere, the, the spherical dimension from one to the other, um, that still you're talking about has to be perpendicular and not stacked uh, spherically. Or, please clarify for us. Well, for for one space, there's only one set of observables. So if we wanted to go into a space that was like this one but with different observables, it would have to be elsewhere from here. Well, okay. Well, obviously. Sorry, it sounds else- so boring. <laughs> well, no, I, I know it has to be elsewhere, but like, okay, so uh, let's say according to the movie, uh, the uh, the universes are spherically stacked, which is very similar to what you just said of uh, perpendicularly stacked. Um, what would be the energy that would hold the universes together um, so that they would maintain their form like that? How many quantum physicists does it take to change a light bulb? If I don't watch them change it. It could be any number, of course. You should know that if you listen to this show enough. I would just say simply gravity. God. Jen, every, I'm, I'm sorry, David. Every other episode we do, Jen has these unbelievably complex explanations for things, and for some reason she's choosing very simple English for today. Jen, we <laughs> talked about this. <laughs> I want full-on science for he this He gave me a long list of rules uh, to abide by so that I okay. wouldn't be inappropriate. Uh, all right. so and I just, just really want to make sure this episode goes really well and I'd ask all, right, all right. The, the questions. My, my question about the space-time continuum, I was 
bouncing questions off Brian before, and I, I, was, I wasn't even sure if it was a good question. Where he goes through and then he comes back out, like... Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, you may be... Jen was referring to... Jen is referring to Jebediah in part four, um, going through as Jebediah, coming back as the tall man. Jen, can that you... That was in number five, I think. It was number five? Oh, I thought it was number four. Which, which one? Can you just, just, just describe the scene, Jen? Um, he goes into the white room area, or... Yeah, he goes into the corner, and then he's, like, being chased, and then he goes, and then he goes in, and he's like, oh, he's going to come back out as the tall man, and then he reemerges looking... Yeah, like way older and different. That's number four. Was it? Oh, sorry. I, I thought it was number T- five. Take yeah, my word for it. Tall man, right? Yeah. So she's yeah. talking about part four, the first time Jebediah goes through. Now, Jen's interpretation of this, and, and you can expand on this, Jen, is that, a gr- and, and we didn't see this in the movie, obviously, but that a great deal of time had passed from the time Jebediah goes into the dimensional fork to where the tall man comes out. Is that what, what you saw, Jen, in that? Oh, I was just curious if that was, like, somehow connected to the, the storyline some other way. If that okay. was, like, yeah, if it was a long timeline or what. Well, um, yeah, we always you... played, you know, it's time and space, I guess, is, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> <We're> making... <laughs> oh, my God, Steve, I so swear like... to God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, a lot of time has passed. <laughs> okay. If 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 you were like in a coffee shop with Jen right now and you said that to her, honestly, I swear to God, she would she would fire her co- hot cup of coffee in your face. <laughs> right. That type of thing really pisses her off <laughs> when you say things He's like, exaggerating. "Oh, I'll just, I'll just play fast and loose with physics and time." Because I I, I try to do that with her on these on, on on this show, and she she has none of it. Jim, just just to remind you, forget any rules that may have said. Just keep it keep the politics away. Everything else you can say. So, um, so we'll do that. David, are you doing okay, doing okay over there? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay. Um, I had a lot of fun watching the movies, and I honestly really loved the last one. Like, it, it, it sort of ties everything together, but it's, it's like a, almost a, it's a departure. So, can you talk about maybe how it's a little bit different from the other ones for you? Yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, it's mainly different because Don directed all the other ones and, um, you know, he handed it over to me uh, to direct, but we still wrote the whole thing together and uh, I didn't do anything without his his blessing. But, you know, again, the thing that made it um, different from the sequels was, I, I tell me if I get too boring here talking about film and all this stuff, but, you know, each movie was a sign of its time I feel like you know uh, the first film was in the late 70s and it's dealing with uh, this boy with death but then when we go to the second one it's bigger budget and it's action-packed then the third one has a little bit more comedy you know reflecting some of the 90s type of uh, movies that were out and then we get into the um, late 90s for um, uh, part four (laughs) oblivion and starts getting more uh, existential uh, with the whole thing so for me it was uh playing off of that fourth movie but still trying to capture the innocence of the first film uh, you know the first film with a boy dealing with death um you know by the fifth film these characters have seen a lot of crap and uh been through a lot so they've kind of lost that innocence and uh you know getting into alzheimer's and dementia uh really kind of brought an innocence back to it uh for me 
um, as far as it getting into the the science and stuff, you know, uh, Don and I were talking, and you know, a lot of uh, you know the the physics of uh, you know different theories out there and stuff just kind of made sense. But we always wanted to play with the idea that there's there's more than just um, one dimension or the dimension of um, the red planet that we call it from the first film. Um, yeah, whether that's Mars or another dimension. A lot of people have theories, and that's the good thing about Phantasm is it doesn't really answer anything. It just creates more questions. Um, truly, truly, the, the, the uh, tall man would fun, be. Which is why yes. I think at the this film too, you couldn't just have um, the hero's journey come to an end, and that it's uh, a hero kills the bad guy and he stands on his corpse raising a sword in the air. It's uh, <laughs> that's not what Don's world uh, was meant to be from the very beginning, you know, and much like life, we don't have all the answers. So, uh, you know, kind of a slightly dark and ambiguous ending is kind of hand in hand with the phantasm world, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I actually wouldn't call it too ambiguous. I I would call it a thousand times less ambiguous than the endings to one through four. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely closure there, and there's definitely reasons to why there could be closure. Yeah. Um, But as Um, as far as uh, the the hero's journey, like I said, or the the battle between good and evil, um, you know, in my mind, it's never over. And I don't think it wasn't in Don's either. Um, now, I don't want to give away the ending. I'm not going to, of course. But um, the ending totally reminded me, or it had the same vibe as the ending to The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, because, like, it's, it, there is, you don't really know how it ends, but you know, what they're, you know, which direction they're driving at. I mean, right, it, it, right. In, in Devil's Rejects, they're literally driving. Um, actually, it's kind of the same thing with Ravagers. Not to give away too much, but it's it, you're, it's this. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to go road on. Movie type of yeah. uh, the journey continues. Yeah, I mean, if, if there was a sequel to um, to um, Devil's Rejects, it probably would pick up right at that moment. You know, just like yeah, the, yeah. yeah. If, if, if Dawn was going to make a sequel to Devil's Rejects, it would pick up exactly at that moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's what's great about Dawn's movies, too. And, you know, as far as the Phantasm series, is, to me, it's always like a serial, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a 1920s, 1930s pulp. Uh, you know, like you're reading amazing stories or weird tales or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and you, Absolutely. And you come invested with these characters and, and, and stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, the the, fan, the fandom had become very invested in the characters. I'm sure you've seen that. It's, oh yeah, uh, pe- absolutely. People are life lifers. They're, they're all lifers. Myself included. You know, I was yeah. seven years old when I first uh, got introduced to Phantasm, and it's had an impact on my life throughout the years. So it's pretty amazing to even be uh, talking with you now about yeah, you know, Phantasm, and then having worked on it, <laughs> it's even crazier. What a I'd shame! Through that, a space gate. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame that Jen uh, has only, uh, up till recently, been blissfully naive of uh, of the world of, of the tall. <laughs> there man. is something about seeing these movies when you're young, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like I, I saw the the first film. I just and I've kind of told the story, but I got a Fangoria issue number two uh, when I was begged my mom to buy me this thing at a bookstore, yeah. 
and mm-hmm. uh, I would show it around all over the place, you know, like it's a dirty magazine to friends and stuff. And uh, it it was like I think I was probably around twelve or thirteen when I uh, got it from a video store, you know, one of those ones where the guys are selling them or uh, renting to kids underage. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that, that cool would be guy. all video stores, David. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I saw it at the age of the really the main character, Mike, in the first film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that has a big impact on you when you're that age. Uh, yeah, it, 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 stuff. it'll mess you up. But in, in this case, it messes you up in a very in a very positive way. Yes, I think so. <laughs> we now, like um, to think that. Yeah. Um, something I noticed... Uh, Reggie in the fifth film, uh, and Jen, feel free to chime in on this. Um, Reggie has dementia. Now, was this intentional? Dementia is a form of the word dimension. It, was that intentional? <laughs> Who's that question for? You. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, it really came from uh, Don and I just kind of, Again, trying to find that innocence, something that's okay. out of our control, you know. Like, okay. Yeah. And you know, we've all had family members with that, and I, you know, I had uh, had one where I just remember talking to them. They thought I was somebody else, and it was just like they're looking through me, and it was just this weird thought of like, what if their body's here, but their conscious mind is actually somewhere else or in a different time, and you know, they're trying to to react and. You know, their their body here is just uh, going through the motions of what their brain's going through. I don't know if that gets uh, no, too overthinking, yeah. but but you know that was just something that crossed my mind back then. And then okay. you know, as Don and I were coming up with the um, kind of our you know our core catalyst uh, to this thing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, dimension Alzheimer's uh, really brought the innocence back in because it's something we all have to deal with, and there's yeah. you know. In my opinion, there hasn't been too much of an understanding of what it is, um, or how to, you know, cure it. Uh, so it's 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 interesting. There's still uh, it's a big mystery. A lot yeah, of times. yeah, there is. There's a lot of mystery there that you can still uh, kind of play with as a filmmaker. <laughs> Which of course you did in, the, in this movie, very much so. Um, Jen, let's let's uh, pretend for a moment that uh, that David and Don had uh, tried to do that double entendre. <laughs> dementia. Um, Jen, if someone is full-on dementia, Alzheimer's, and they're living, they, according to their own perception of the universe, which, David, I'm not sure if you probably don't know this, you don't know me, but uh, I'll tell you something. I'm a very big, um, big uh, fan of the, um, of, uh, of the law of Holographic intention. universe? Holographic universe, law of intention, that type okay. of thing, uh, where um, how you perceive the world is the reality. And uh, what's behind you doesn't exist until you turn around and look at it. Um, I had a long argument in Jen, with Jen in one of the other episodes about the moon existing or not. And, uh, you know, yeah, we had our differences on that. But It's like a, <laughs> if a tree falls in the woods, can you hear it kind of? A... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so, Jen, um, if someone is in uh, advanced state of dementia, the world they're in mentally is totally different than the reality that we see them in. Um, what would it take for for that consciousness, that uh, that perception, to be in a different place. Let's say it was in a different um, a different dimension in the same universe. Um, how could that happen? How could that be achieved intentionally or through a state of dementia? 
That's a very good question. It calls uh, to mind the quantum mechanical nature of the mind. And if we imagine it as a projection, like a light bulb, but a complex one, Mm -hmm. it has a direction and it has a quality of coherence, whether it's incoherent or highly coherent, and it has an amplitude as well. So if you had a mental, what you said, dementia, it just means that the part of you that used to be there is no longer coherent with your body because it's sort of like part, part of your projector has died. So that part of your consciousness goes into potential. Okay. And, and that, that potential could, could, could then end up in a different reality. Could end up on a different scale of magnification. Okay. And if that scale of magnification crossed over to another dimension, you see where I'm trying to push this, Jen? You're not helping me at all. <laughs> to with another this, dimension? Yes. It just depends what you mean oh. by dimension. Oh, my God. All right. Um, <laughs> David, once again, I apologize. Jen, listen. <laughs> I did have a question. No, it's not, uh, it's not scientific, but it was about the movie. No, okay. Let's assume the movie was real, which, of course, it is. Jen, <laughs> okay. Um, Reggie is in the old folks' home in the fifth movie. Um, he's suffering from dementia, or is he? He lapses in and out of the war zone and to his adventures in the desert. Um, Let's forget about dementia at all. Let's, let's keep it simple. Um, and this goes to my uh, theory, not, not my theory, but the theory that, I, that, that I'm a big fan of, intention. If, if you stare long enough out into space and you think you see an apple and you're 100% convinced the apple's there and no one's there to tell you it's not there, doesn't the apple still exist, Jen? Quantum physics is one part inspiration and two parts vodka. Line up those shots and let's save the universe. If the apple's not there, but you really want it to be there? Yes. Does it exist? Yes. Depends what you mean by exist. Oh, my so God. Nothing really exists in your mind right. that's outside actual, of it. Actual, tangible, <laughs> actual, tangible, physical apple that you could eat. I'm sorry. I don't understand the question. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's say, let's say, um... We'll relate more to Phantasm. Let's say Reggie is in the old folks' home. He's in his wheelchair. He looks out and he sees, uh, he sees his friend Michael uh, carrying his four-barrel shotgun to give back to him. The, the doctors and the nurse don't see that, um, but Reggie does. Um, is there a point at which um, intention and perception can be such that the, the universe he's living in, um, in the old folks' home, starts to deteriorate to such a degree that the the, um, the reality of the Warzone uh, characters coming in actually takes over and becomes the new reality. Oh. Yeah. Then you're into some crazy trans-dimensional stuff. Exactly. <laughs> now, how do we make that happen? Yes, David, absolutely. Now, Jen, with unlimited funds uh, and unlimited resources, how could one transcend into one, from one reality to another? How could one go from this reality to another reality? Yes. Well, it depends if you're in the Phantasm universe or not. And obviously, like you said before, I watched the movie that once I was done, I would want to live in that universe. And you do, don't you? (laughs) I'm terrified of those balls. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, The balls are are, are only your friend. They actually 
probably are only um, driving into people's heads because uh, people that stare at the balls are using power of intention to unintentionally attract them. But that's just my theory. Um, I okay, was so, curious. What, what well, for both of you, was the scariest part of the movie? Hmm. Oh, you first, David. From the first one, uh, gosh, I don't know, because there's so many good parts. I mean, for me, honestly, the, the part that scared me the most when I was a kid at first uh, was the uh, scene where Mike is underneath the car and the little dwarf creatures are running around him. Yep, uh, yep. That just freaked me out because you just knew he was in a compromised position and there was these, these things around. Now, of course, the tall man is, is super scary, uh, but in that first film, that was the scene that uh, freaked me out the most. David, in that scene, do you think the dwarves were actually looking for that um, a case of Dasekis that can be seen from the uh, from underneath? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Of course. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. That's what I thought, too. Um, uh, my, the scariest thing for me was in the first one, um, just feeling that, that Mike was this little kid alone in this massive mausoleum uh, and that he might never get out, and just the fear that I, cause I saw the movie when I was a little kid too, of course, and uh, the fear of being there without anyone to help you, knowing that your only friends might already be dead, and him not even knowing that. So the fear of being alone, and then just when you think that that the worst thing you have to worry about is being alone, there comes this fear, and and then of course it's it's broken up by by Jody coming to the rescue, you know, which is right. awesome. Yeah, could could not be more of an alpha male moment in in, in the in, in the first movie than when Jody sh- shows up and rescues Mike in the mall. <laughs> awesome. But see, that's what makes Jody so cool, though. You know, because yeah. he, he's that. You know, I feel like Michael Knight ripped him off. You know, with the oh black, my god, totally the black jacket and the, that hair and the black car. But um, oh my god, I never thought of that. But you know something I always loved, and I was talking to Don about this, was that you know he's a badass with that car, and he's got mm-hmm. the shotgun, saves the day. But there's still that scene earlier where it, it's his little brother that's got to work on the car because he knows nothing about how to fix cars. And then the next scene is him uh, riding a 10-speed bike, you know, like trying to look mm-hmm. all cool with his leather coat and his bell bottoms. But he's still riding a bike, you know? <laughs> well, that scene with, with Michael working on the car really sets up in, in all the movies, um, his, uh, his ingenuity and, and his, his resourcefulness, whether it be with that goddamn most awesome, incredible, cool toy in the world, that exploding hammer, which <laughs> every kid wants to play with, um, to the, uh, that every mechanical... kid wanted to try and make on their own. And <laughs> yes. And I, when I was a kid, I thought about it for thousands of hours, how I could do that without any possibility of getting hurt. And I couldn't think of a way to do it. So I didn't do it. But, um, uh, and, and from there, all the way to, to the fourth movie where he's creating that, um, the NASCAR, uh, sphere, um, from yeah. the engine block, which was, which was pretty awesome. Um, Jen question for you. Okay. Um, time travel. Now I know we've, we've spoken about this before. Um, in the fourth movie, um, Mike and Jody try to get the tall man by going back in time. They find him. Of course, Jody, being a total, in a total dick move, that doesn't tell Mike that they're in the wrong dimension until after he tries to kill him, but <laughs> either here nor there. Um, is it possible to travel through time? And, well, first of all, Jen has this thing about time travel where she has a problem with it. Let's assume that you're okay with time travel, Jen. Um, is it possible to travel through time 
but not be able to affect what you're seeing? Or would you always be just dropped into another time? The only way to travel through to the past would be to not affect what you're seeing. Because <clears throat> you wouldn't actually be seeing the past, you'd be seeing the trace of the past. But couldn't you like change something like the butterfly effect uh, and then things would be different in the future? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I think in the phantasm world, it's more like Jen saying, right, because Mike went back and mm -hmm. it's almost like he's just watching a recorded um, episode, you know, watching the, the tall man work in his lab and or Jebediah working in the lab, you know, creating his first kind of, uh, you know, space gate. Okay, so this, this is the, this is the um, time travel version of a big downer. Because Honestly, really the whole anything. entire series, I feel like, could be the dream of the tall man. Well, he does say in the fifth movie that you did, but that, that that's different, though. But yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, um, but uh, you know, if I mean, if you really could affect the past, then they could have used these space gates to do a you know Terminator and uh, go back and destroy Jebediah. Um, you know, in the phantasm world, everything revolves around the tall man. You know, you're talking about all these the dimensions, and we were talking about them being a sphere and what what's holding it all together. But you know, for us, it's like the tall man is the nucleus. He's the uh, he's in the center there, and everything's kind of uh, revolving around him. Uh, yeah, that's and, what uh, when I say yeah. it. That gives the impression that it could all just be a fabrication of this character's mind. That it does give. No, I'm not saying that it has to be that way, but it actually. It could be that. Yeah. It well, and that's me that great, again, about these films is we, we do try to sprinkle in a bunch of different theories. I don't feel like there's one solid answer. I definitely think there's some answers people have that are wrong, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I definitely uh, feel like, you know, there's different interpretations. Yeah, I mean, especially if in I see... Film, so. Yes, yes. Uh, I swear to God... It, if I see any um, phantasm erotic fan fiction, I'm going to definitely um, call you and Don and make sure that you get that stuff off. <laughs> no one wants to see that. But um, uh, David, I got, I, got, I got a question for you. Um, if if you were to remake all the phantasms, I, I, I don't mean remake them, but go back in time, I guess, since we're talking about this, and remake them, um, and you had to change one thing about about the phantasm world. Um, what would you change anything, or do you think it's perfect the way it is? Um, if I had to change anything, you had I to would, change. Yeah, I would give Don a bigger budget. Oh no, um, I mean, <laughs> I mean the phantasm world itself. As if it's the real world. Yeah, if the phantasm was the real world, what would if you had to change one thing about the phantasm world as if it were reality? What would you change? Ah, yeah, jeez, I don't know what that would be. We can make it late. It depends if I'm if I'm considering myself a villain or a hero too. A hero, of course. <laughs> a hero, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, what that would be, except I I haven't actually seen anyone try to destroy a space gate. Um, you know what? You're right. So You're right. That Reg Reg has only tried to shut it down, um, uh, but he's not. No one's destroyed it. 
That's very perceptive of you, David. I, I'm, I'm impressed. Hmm. And, and I should be since you are the director of the fifth. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, something I noticed. I'm thinking to myself, like, damn it, why didn't I have someone try to destroy a space gate? <laughs> something that I noticed about the space gates, and this is, I mean, maybe you guys should be getting some, some royalty checks from Apple, uh, is that the space gates are, are so minimalist. Uh, there's no on and off button. There's no wiring. Uh, you tap them and they go on. You tap them and they go off. They're very, they're very trendy and shiny. Um, it, it's almost as if uh, the, 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 the tall man was getting his ideas from uh, walking into an Apple store and seeing right, how, right. how the products are designed. <laughs> Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Fool me three times and you need to go fuck yourself. I don't know. I mean, I've always noticed that. They're very sleek. Uh, very, very uh, intuitive, you know. Very intuitive, yes. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed uh, Amazon's uh, artificial intelligence, that home system there. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to say. The space gate can also, you know, raise or lower your temperature, dim your lights, <laughs> or can, lock can your also, door for you. <laughs> or it can extract every drop of blood from your body if you choose to ask it to do so. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you could ever do a phantasm satire, that would be something – Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's one aspect of the, the new film I haven't seen um, really a lot of people talk about. Let me just throw this out there to sure. you, Brian. Okay. Uh, when Reggie's on the table, um, did you notice his, his, we had his brain between two small space gates? Yes, I noticed that. Yes. Yeah, because that was something I wanted to put in there for um, people to chew on a little bit. Do you think people, real, do you think people got that his exit in the fourth film um, was into chaos, and then he, and then he had been on that table ever since, up until he gets out of the table. Do you think that was? Oh, I probably did. I did I say too much? No, no, I don't. Okay. Think so. I mean, uh, I mean that's kind of partly, you know, what my thought was. I mean, yeah. when we originally came up with this thing, and I'm sure you've read this or seen this, where it was, it was actually just going to be a bunch of like webisodes, right? We just yep, yep started kind of filming these adventures with Reggie mm -hmm. and part of you know my initial thing for the webisodes was start it up but then go back and see where Reggie was between where we currently are and yep. uh, where four left off so when you see him come out of uh, the desert in the first film and he yep. Got bloody knuckles and it looks like he's got blood and vomit all over his clothes. Yes, yellow. You know, he, uh, out, he has a lot of money, but it's burnt. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. where the hell? I just wanted it to look like you know this guy's been to hell and back, and who knows what <laughs> adventures he had? You know, absolutely, uh, absolutely. for the last eighteen years. Um, absolutely. Um, I, uh, we're going to close out the episode in a few minutes. I wanted to ask you. Uh, Something that uh, has probably been on the minds of a lot of Phantasm fans, and, and this may be a dawn question, but I got you here, so I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'm sure you're at least as qualified to answer it, um, uh, and probably will be a, a, lot, a lot more forthcoming with an answer uh, than Don would be anyway. So um, <laughs> my question is to you. Now, it, we all know the circumstances surrounding uh, Phantasm 2. We're not going to go into that. Now that that's passed and we're beyond that into the, the different movies beyond that, three, four, and five, is it the official canon, according to Don slash Don and David, that Phantasm II, the events of Phantasm II, were in an alternate universe or alternate dimension? Um, I don't know if that's canon or not. I mean, I think it's kind of become canon 
just out of that's the majority of the fan base's uh, thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does explain uh, Mike's character yeah. being totally different. And, um, you know, Don's brought this up before um, uh, Roger Avery from um, Pulp Fiction wrote um, Pulp Fiction with Tarantino and mm-hmm. won an Oscar for it. He wrote um, uh, a big-budget script, uh, Fantastic. I heard about that, and, yeah. And... and in that, he had a moment where um, both mics run into each other and, like, turn a corner. And it's like, oh, it's you. It's you. And then they run off, you know. That would have been they awesome. go their separate ways, but where they uh, see each other for a minute, you know. And, yeah. And, and for me, I mean, I do think now, looking back on it, you know, a lot of that sparked this whole um, multiple dimensions, multiple realities, I guess. It's almost like the fan base, because of the uh, of the disparity and the um, the uh, dissonance of the second movie, it, it, that kind of uh, laid the, the foundation for for these theories about alternate dimensions and and th- this uh, fan fan created universe um, of of the greater phantasm universe was actually created because of that. Do you think that's true, David? I, I think that plays into it for sure. I mean, I definitely think in the first film. Don's definitely set that up because he's got, you know, the space gate. We don't know if it's another dimension or a planet. We don't – I'm trying to remember if Mike actually calls it a dimension when he comes out because he's talking about it's like where he sees that they're slaves and all this. Um, I'm not – I think he says dimension. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he says dimension. Yeah, I'm, I do too. So I, I think Don set it up there. Mm-hmm. Um pretty good but i i think just out of circumstance it plays you know with part two um yeah well yeah yeah and it definitely it definitely added on to that idea um it definitely did for me for ravager yeah Uh, you know because i i think that's where we push the uh, multiple reality idea uh the furthest and uh it definitely played into that yeah and um i must say um all the fans that were hoping for closure in this movie um, will be exquisitely and wonderfully disappointed in, in, in many ways, only because uh, this, this movie is very thought-provoking and uh, is going to require um, many, many hours of alcohol and coffee to, to talk about well, That's what phantasm is, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it should uh, spark conversation after it, and, and mm. I think it's it's done its its job uh, but I, I do think there's closure there you just got to um the um the lines a little and uh, you'll you'll find a closure to uh, uh it's hard to explain but you know there's a certain aspect of closure there uh, well it may not be the the bad guys lose and the good guys win kind of closure uh as i uh, said it, it's to me it's the devil's rejects ending but um if you right, haven't seen right. the movie but um, definitely watch that movie too. I think that'll let you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> to, to those listeners out there that want to hear more about um, uh, the physics behind Phantasm and the physics behind things like in Phantasm, on most of our episodes, uh, Jen and I are always talking about uh, time travel, different dimensions, things like that. Um, if you want to listen to our past episodes, um, there's tons that we're talking about that pretty much nonstop. So if you take it, take that in a totality, you'll get a much greater sense of kind of uh, what Jen and I think about um, the possibilities of, of reality as far as uh, different dimensions of multiple universes and things. We just wanted this episode to be strictly about Phantasm to kind of uncover the layers, the, the esoteric and, and occult uh, meaning uh, hidden layers 
of Phantasm, how they relate to multiple dimensions. And I am so honored to have uh, David Harvin, the director of Phantasm Ravager, here um, uh, to, uh, to, to share this with us and, and to kind of open up the uh, the um, the uh, Phantasm zeitgeist, basically. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much. It's yeah, been great being on here with you and Jen. It's This is fun. I, I love talking this stuff. <laughs> and, this, uh, this is what goes through my head when Don and I were writing, and I'd ask these questions, and, you know, Don and I would uh, try to wrap our brains around it, you know. <laughs> You did a great job. It really gives no, the impression of people who knew a lot about both science as well as occult things. Yeah, well, that's, you know. Believable. And I love reading conspiracies. I love, I just, you know, I love reading Bigfoot books. I just absolutely uh, love mystery and uh, real world uh, kind of mysteries. That's well. As as we all know, this is a real world mystery. Um, Phantasm <laughs> obviously is true, and uh, we should hear, hear the rest uh, on uh, your uh, local CNN or Fox News, um, unless <laughs> the news continues to get suppressed, and we'll have to actually uh, drive to uh, Holtzville, uh, Paragord, or Morningside to uh, talk to the locals and see what they think of it. Which would be an awesome thing to do if I have an unlimited right. budget is to go to like. <laughs> Paragord, Oregon, and interview people on, on the street and ask them about the tall man. Uh, well, all right, when we um, do our new uh, non-religion tour, we can we can stop there. Yes, yes. Um, Jen and I are doing a, a, a non-religion. Um, uh, there's a longer name for this, but uh, um, take over the world. Um, uh, uh, all. Um, what's the name of the tour, Jen? We haven't figured it out yet, but right. I, basically, Brian <laughs> trolling all the uh, fake priests of. Yeah, we're line. gonna we're gonna round up all the all, all the priests out there and force them to watch um uh, what's his name from Phantasm Two get his ear cut off. Yeah, the from that. <laughs> but, uh, all right, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna end this episode before it, it um it devolves into debauchery and uh and multiple <laughs> multiple dimensional um farsality if, if that's the word. All right, um, this is Brian uh and um. That's Jen to my left and David to my right, of course, in other dimensions. They're not next to me. Um, and you're listening to the Science Boobies podcast. Uh, you can hear more at scienceboobies.com. Get your free T-shirt. Not free. <laughs> Get your T-shirt there and, uh, and uh, much more. Um, everyone, uh, goodbye. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Over guys. and out. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, David. This podcast is hosted by Jen and Brian and was recorded using the internet, which is a series of tubes. Copyright 2016 Intentional Sharfing Media Cartel. Music by David C. Chastain. Listen to more episodes on sciencefoobies.com. Yes, I said boobies. Goodbye. Now go home and read a book before your brain dies of atrophy.